Well, I will have a relatively short message tonight. Um, I find that on Christmas Eve in particular, if you are brief, they will rise up and call you blessed, Um, especially the kids, I think, who are eagerly waiting for what's to come. But Christmas can be a busy time, of course, and with 2020 in particular, we have faced a storm. We have faced a storm, and we are not done by any stretch with the storm. You know, I saw a calendar that ended um, with December 32nd this year. I don't know if, you know, when, when will the new year come, and it's as if the new calendar will somehow make everything better, which it won't, of course, right? We're still going to be dealing with some of these long-time issues. But at least tonight, here on Christmas Eve, we can be in the eye of the storm, we can be in a time of calm. And that tells us something, I think, about the very first Christmas as well. Uh, Jesus was born in a world of chaos. And when we read about the Christmas story, yes, it's a night of calm, but we can easily miss the storm that brews around him. It's a world filled with danger. It's a world filled with anger, with war, uh, with Israel and Rome and Herod and Pilots. In fact, the world of the first century would, look, would make uh, 2020 look like small potatoes in comparison. And yet what we see there in the very first Christmas is that God is in control. Utterly and completely in control of the whole thing. And that first Christmas is a picture to us that he's still in control even today. And he brings his king into this world for us under his sovereign hand. I want to read from the Gospel of Luke, which is where we've been for the last few weeks. And we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, looking at the actual birth of Jesus, the account of the actual birth of Jesus. Just this short section probably all sounds relatively familiar. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. What we see in this passage is that God is in control of the big stuff as well as the small stuff. He's in control of the big stuff as well as the small stuff. Luke describes to us the big stuff that's happening on this first Christmas. He talks about Caesar Augustus. Uh, Caesar Augustus was, of course, the most powerful man in the world at the time. Of course, one of the many Caesars who ruled over Rome, but out of all the Caesars, probably the one with the most power and perhaps the most ego. His name was actually Octavian. He was called Augustus because he is August. He is the great one. He was considered to be, in that time, a god. Uh, He boasted that he found Rome built in brick, but left it in marble. He was the first Caesar to deify 
his own name. He claimed to be the son of Zeus, the chief of all of the Greek and Roman gods, Jupiter in the, in the Roman world. He the legend, a legend that he was born of a serpent, and again, that he was the son of God and the savior. Familiar terminology for that world. And it says here that he makes a census, a decree, that goes out to all the world. Now, he means all the known world. The Americas weren't discovered, and the Far East and China didn't get this, but all the known world at the time, the Roman Empire, and all the world now has to register. Imagine that, that one man makes a command, and the whole world has to obey. The whole world snaps into action. Imagine if you had that power. What would you command for the entire world? Locally, we see Quirinius. He's the governor of that region in Syria, another powerful man who then enforces to make sure everyone is doing what Caesar has commanded. 2020 has definitely been a year of politics as well, where some far away make certain statements and the rest of the world responds and interacts. Well, this sets off a chain reaction that affects a small-town carpenter and his pregnant fiance. God is in control of the big stuff, but also the small stuff. Uh, he's not, some people think that God is, is only in control of the big stuff, right? That's all that really matters. He's in control of who's Caesar or who's president, who wins a war. Uh, he's in control of things like pandemics and social structures and um, how and when we die, but not over every aspect of our lives. But friends, the reality is, of course, the big stuff only comes about because of the small stuff, right? The, the one influences the other. Uh, who we vote individually, that determines who's in the office. A, a soldier on the field individually is the one who ultimately wins the war collectively. And death itself comes by sometimes chance, sometimes genetics, sometimes the number of choices that we make on a day-to-day basis. In fact, the Bible says that not even a sparrow tiny little bird falls to the ground without God sovereignly in control. That every hair of your head is numbered. That God oversees your going to bed at night and your rising in the morning. And honestly, friends, his sovereignty over everything is, in a sense, an expression of his love. You could say, well, God could just ignore the small stuff, right? Just focus on quasars and novas and black holes, whatever those things are, right? (laughs) But no, he cares for us in the very details, the very small stuff of our lives, like taking a trip to Bethlehem with a pregnant fiance. You also see that God's timing then is perfect, always perfect. Joseph goes to Bethlehem. Uh, Who's Joseph? He is, as I said, a carpenter from Nazareth in Galilee. Why is that significant? That's because that's where Jesus is raised. And according to the prophets, Isaiah 9, he would be called a Galilean. He would be raised up in that northern region. And yet, his origin is from the line of David, which Joseph, of course, happens to be from the line of David. He has to, because of the census, take Mary, his pregnant virgin uh, fiancé, Isaiah 7, that the Savior would come through a virgin. And because of the census, go to Bethlehem. Micah 5, that the Savior would be born not in Galilee, where he's raised, but in Bethlehem. 
Well, in Bethlehem, it says the time comes for this baby to be born. And all of this prophecy is fulfilled all in God's perfect timing and his way. See, what seemed utterly random, I'm sure, to them at the time, is God working out his perfect plan. I think the same is true of us. What seems so random about life to us is God working out his perfect plan, his book, that it is written for us. Uh, One of my favorite parts of the movie Slumdog Millionaire. It's a rough movie, by the way, so if you're going to sit down, be careful watching it with your young kids. But is in the very beginning. There's a scene, if those are familiar with the movie, uh, Jamal Malik is one question away from winning 20 million rupees. How does he do it? And it gives you four options. One, A, he cheated. B, he's lucky. C, he's a genius. None of which are true. Or D, it is written. In other words, is there a hand over history that oversees our lives and works out his perfect plan? And Luke reveals that absolutely God is working out his plan over our lives. God has his perfect timing. And we, we look at time so differently. We, we live in the present. That's all we have. We have a memory of the past, which we can lose, by the way, our memories of the past. Our minds are actually not that reliable. They actually come and go. Our memories come and go. And we live with an expectation of the future that we don't know what will even occur. That's how 2020 has certainly taught us, as we said. Who sits over this big, long story over time? God, who is sovereign over all. Oftentimes, it, it didn't, doesn't seem like he's in control. It didn't seem that way to Joseph and Mary. They're certainly probably facing a lot of gossip back home of why Mary's pregnant. Now, in the midst of her pregnancy, they have to make this long journey to Bethlehem because some guy out in Rome, in the capital of the empire, says he wants a number of how many people he has. It's the worst time possible for this to happen, they would think. I think so so often, friends, we feel the same way this year, blindsided us. Why did this happen? Why now? And sometimes God's timing, it just doesn't seem right to us. But in the end, he's working out his perfect and sovereign plan. I've heard uh, sometimes God's will is like a a tapestry. If you look at the back of the tapestry, what do you see? Knots and strings hanging out all over the place. And it seems like it's total chaos until you turn the tapestry around and then you see what? The beautiful picture that is put together. God is in control. He's working out his will. But he does it in his own time. And God is patient. He's far more patient than me. (laughs) Far more patient than us. It was hundreds and hundreds of years before these prophecies from Micah and Isaiah and onward were fulfilled. And now it's been thousands and thousands of years, 2,000, before his return. And we don't even know when he will. What's this plan all about? We find out in verse 7. God's plan is all about Jesus Christ. Mary gives birth to Jesus. Mary describes, he is, well, Jesus is described as her firstborn. Joseph becomes the father figure. He's the adoptive dad. I guess you could call him a stepdad or the earthly father of Jesus, but he's the, the firstborn. He's also the firstborn of all creation. It's a place of authority, even as he's the firstborn over his own family. He's wrapped in cloths as a little baby infant. Think of that. At the mercy of the world, 
the mercy of the cold and the wind and the hot burning sun of the desert at the mercy of his hunger from his belly and thirst in his throat. And he's laid in a manger. We like to sort of picture a manger as a sort of romanticized thing. A manger is just the feeding trough for animals. They were probably smelly and dirty with manure surrounding and little mites in the hay. Matthew Henry says, when we by faith view the Son of God being made man and lying in a manger, our vanity, ambition, and envy are checked. We're told that the inn is full. Jesus is literally, as he enters into our broken world, one step away from homelessness. Born in humility and vulnerability and poverty. Leon Morris, the theologian, said, everything about this story points to poverty, obscurity, and even rejection. And yet there, in the midst of Bethlehem, in that stable, laying in a manger is the hope of all the world. God is in control. He's in control of how the Savior is born, how he's brought into our world. He's in control over the power of Caesar in the decrees that he makes, unbeknownst to him. And he's in control of a tiny baby who happened to be born that night and laid in a manger, seemingly so small and insignificant. And yet all the hope of the world depends upon him. C.S. Lewis said uh, in his Chronicles of Narnia, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. Referring to the birth of Christ. This is what Christmas is really all about, friends. God bringing the lamb in the fields of Bethlehem. God bringing us a savior who would die on the cross for our sins and rescue us from our depravity, from judgment, and give us the gift of eternal life. God's in control. And he uses his sovereign plan to bring salvation. He brings a baby out of two peasants that ultimately brings salvation for us today. He brings salvation to the world. It's now spread to almost every nation and people and language under heaven. We got work to do, but it's getting there. He brings this salvation, not just through the manger, but through the cross and the resurrection. From the first Christmas to this one, God is in control. As we are surrounded by the chaos and the busyness of Christmas and of this year in particular, let's remember the same of the first Christmas. On that silent night, God is sovereign. He's in control of the big stuff and the small stuff. His timing is perfect and he's working out his plan. And his plan is all about Jesus Christ. It's been roughly 2,000 Christmases since then. And yet he remains in control and still calls us to put our eyes on the Savior. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father in heaven, 
as we have met together this evening, whether here in person or many in their homes who are joining us online for worship, that we've come to focus on the true purpose of this night, why it's existed for 2,000 years, why the world stops and worships and thinks and considers Jesus. Lord, I know that many here and those watching online are going through hard times. All of us, I think, know those who are sick. Many of us have lost someone close and dear to us. A lot of people are struggling financially with lost jobs, with loneliness and frustration, with the inability to meet together. Help us to know that you're in control of everything, including the pandemic and over the details of our life. And you will use it all for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Help us, Lord, to get our eyes on Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.